You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Branke and Anna Wells. We each have more than 15 years' experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on the website and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also live almost every Friday at 1.30, except this one, if you remember that from last week. But the next one, the next one, we're going to be live at 1.30-ish. We'll send you a calendar. That's right. That's right. Just email us and we'll add you to the invite. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this week? Good. That's good, Jeff. Oh, okay. Anna, Anna, how are you doing this week? <laughs> um, good, except for tomorrow when I think it's, fr- when I, wait, tomorrow when I think it's Saturday, I don't know, like, because we're filming today and uh, we usually film on Fridays, I know that like, oh yeah, I'm going to be wrecked tomorrow. Yeah, it's, I mean, it feels like a very busy Friday, mm-hmm. but we're filming on Thursday and you're going to wake up, just think, nope. I just have a less busy Friday yep. now. Oh, actually, I still have another day of work. Yep. No, that's uh, I was thinking about that today, too, uh, because I was planning a lot of things for tomorrow mm-hmm. and they all wound up rescheduling to today to create just a whirlwind of a Thursday. A but, supernova. Yeah, we'll yeah. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit later. <laughs> all right. Before we get started. We have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800 528 0334. All right, and we're back. And before we get started with our top stories, just a reminder that if you want to get a free sample of Oil Eater, you can click the link below and just register and they'll send it to you. As long as you don't send it to your house. I think you got to send it to a business, right, Jeff? I think you're good either way. All right. Well, get yourself some free Oil Eater. All right. Our first story this week, Lucid unveils most powerful EV on the planet. Newark, California-based Lucid Group <clears throat> first came on the EV scene when the Lucid Air reached 520 miles in range. Now, Lucid is turning heads with the most powerful electric vehicle available in North America, the Air Grand Touring Performance. The performance model will offer 1,500 horsepower, go 0 to 60 in 2.6 seconds, and hit a top speed of 168 miles per hour. Despite the performance, it will still hit a range of 446 miles per charge. The Lucid Air Grand Touring Performance, Jeff, could be yours starting in June for a mere 
$179,000. It sneaks in under that 200K mark. Mm. That's the base. That's nice. <laughs> That's I mean, the base. Because I, I will not go over 200K. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's I, I, like, yeah, I'm thinking base model yeah. on this one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here with Lucid. I mean, we talked about the power, the 1,050 horsepower for an electric vehicle. It's kind of ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Huh? I mean, as far as what it ends up churning out here, I mean, the speed, the, the zero to 60 times for EVs are always going to be better than, mm-hmm. a, than a gas engine. So still pretty cool. I mean, 168 miles an hour. But with Lucid, it always comes down to that range. Mm-hmm. They're, they're dominating there. They figured out a way to do it with their proprietary battery technology. They're getting more range out of these vehicles, even though they are potentially heavier. They've got two different batteries in this particular model. So the fact that they can still put out this much power, this much speed, and preserve that range, that's what's impressive. Right. What it really comes down to is, do you want to pay for it? (laughs) Or do you need it? Yeah. I mean, that is the other thing. And they're definitely establishing, this seems to be their way of getting the word out about them. And I think it, it, it's an interesting tactic, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously this vehicle is not for everybody. They just finished that huge facility. They built that 50-acre facility in Arizona where they're going to be manufacturing. They say up to 30,000 vehicles a year right now, I believe. So if they're going to do that, I don't think they're going to be putting out 30,000, 200 grand cars. Yeah. You know? So what is their strategy going to be? Because right now, even though they can say they've got more power than a Tesla, it's got a better range than a Tesla, they're not looking to sell Tesla right now with that price range. So until right. they come into whatever their next phase is from a cost perspective, that's maybe when they become a Tesla competitor. Right now, they they want to position themselves as such for promotional reasons, which you can appreciate. But I think they've delivered like 200 cars so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kind of a niche. Until yeah. they <laughs> expand on that, I don't know if I'd call them a competitor as much as a really, really interesting technology. That should help really kind of push the rest of the EV industry forward. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, the, the spreading, spreading the words working. Because yeah. when I was at that trade show in Anaheim last week, um, I was talking to a packaging manufacturer and he said, all right, I got to go. I got to go move some of these machines so I can buy a new Tesla or a Lucid. And that's what threw me. I'm like, oh, he knows about Lucid. Or Lucid, he said. Yeah. He listens to the podcast. Of course, he's got to be a fan. Uh, Anna, I try to think about what it feels like to go from zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds. Mm-hmm. And all I can think about is that incredible Hulk ride. I don't know if you ever went on it at Universal mm-hmm. Studios, it, like uses the magnets and it feels like you're taking off in a rocket ship. I okay. just, what do you think? First of all, is it necessary? <laughs> and how, how could, could you, could you even fathom what that would be like going zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds? I will never know. I think I will never know. <laughs> By choice. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure about this one from a use case scenario. I mean, Jeff, you said it's not for everyone. Like it's not for almost anyone. Like, well, it, 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 it'd be fun to drive. Is it worth 200 grand? No. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's where it gets limited. Well, and it's just hard for me. Like, so obviously we've kind of collectively agreed that we need to transition away from fossil fuels. EVs have become the kind of cause du jour. People are all getting behind this technology. This is how we're going to move forward. Before we even reach the benchmark of 1% of EVs on the roads in America, Mm -hmm. we have a thousand horsepower supercar to bring to the table. Before we have a single electric minivan, we have this vehicle. Yeah. Before we have like a a variety of affordable SUVs that regular people are going to buy. We have this thing. And I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily the responsibility of the automakers to solve climate change with the EV push, right? Mm -hmm. 
But neither was it their responsibility to solve the pandemic. And then when that occurred, everybody was like rallying around efforts to like pivot and try to produce something that made a collective difference in trying to like solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And I do want to believe that something like this does bring positive attention to the transition to EVs. Mm-hmm. But in my heart, I think like it's sort of diversionary, I guess. I don't know. And, you know, as Jeff pointed out last week, like energy is still energy. There's a lot of work yeah. to be done on what's now still kind of a dirty power grid. This thing is going to take a lot of power and a lot of energy to charge. You know what I mean? It's I don't know. To me, it's like sort of reminiscent of like all the R&D and money that's going into like consumer space travel right now and yeah. all the billionaires are pumping money into this. Mm-hmm. And it's like we have a lot of very critical problems here on Earth. It's not like they're doing anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. But like, couldn't we do something like a little better? I don't know. I mean, it's like it's unnecessary, I feel like. And it's just like a little bit troubling to me that like there's so much work to do here. And obviously this is like Lucid's business model, right? They make cool cars. They mm-hmm. want to make cool cars. They want to stand up to Tesla. They want to make performance cars. But like we're not well, here yet, you know, well, it's just there's just a no. lot to do. And this just doesn't feel like something that's necessary at this point. But It's not necessary, but I think you need this. You always need somebody like commercial space space travel. You need it to keep people excited and invigorated about the future and what's going forward. Uh, you need a car like this. It's kind of how they tried uh, maybe five years ago. Uh, I believe it was Formula One that tried really getting people on board with the EV movement by creating Formula E. Mm-hmm. Right. It's you got to yeah. you got to get attention to it. And when people see this car, they're going to be like, man, that is an amazing car. And they're going to read to the fourth sentence and be like, that's an amazing car. Not for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's uh, it's forward thinking companies like this that kind of move the needle and the technology comes from this that eventually gets to dispersed into what might be more of your electric minivan. You know, because one thing they did talk about is their hard, high degree of vertical integration and their in-house production of these proprietary EV powertrains and battery packs that, you know, have actually helped them scale from concept to commercial availability so quickly. and. Maybe there are many things to be learned from a Lucid that go beyond a very, you know, a, a long range, incredibly fast vehicle. Yeah. Incredibly I, expensive. You don't you, you, you did not sell me on it. No, <laughs> I, well, because I like I think if you have the technology, I mean, they could put it in a vehicle that like has like a mass appeal. And I know that, like, again, it's not their responsibility to do that, to save the earth. It's not. But like. Well, I, here's here's where I think this comes from. The guy who runs Lucid mm-hmm. started at Tesla. He mm-hmm. was a mechanical engineer there. He helped launch it. If you remember Tesla's first vehicle is the Roadster. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's Not, one going to Mars. Yeah, there is. Thanks, David. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the first car was the Roadster. It was I think it came out about 120, 125 grand. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was the first one. It looked cool, it had the lotus body. It got attention going. It got investors excited. I mean, these guys are getting a ton of money from the Saudi Arabian government, their mm. private fund, whatever that is. Um, so I think this is how you make a splash. But that you was, fi- that was 15 this. years ago. Like, d- didn't we already do that? He's following the blueprint. Yeah. This I mean, is how you get people excited about I mean, your company. Is, I mean, because the Model 3, which yeah. is what was for everybody, because mm-hmm. really Tesla's, a lot of their vehicles are not for everybody. Right. Right. right I know. Okay. But they are like, they're not 
like two hundred thousand dollars supercars. They're like well, they can be though. So yeah. I know, they but you be. can buy a Tesla and be a regular person. Like that's. But again, I think he's following the blueprint. Mm-hmm. That is what Lucid is doing here. They're doing the same thing that Tesla did when they first came out because you can get a Plaid model. From the, is it the S model for yeah. Tesla that is quicker than this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has 30 less horsepower. Mm-hmm. So Tesla is there too. I get your point in terms of, is this the solution? No. But if you're running a company, this is maybe how you start in this category because as, as practical as an electric minivan is, mm-hmm. that doesn't get the crown prince of Saudi Arabia real excited to give you a couple <laughs> billion dollars. No. I mean, we, I, well, I beat up on the leaf all the time because- yeah. That was the ent- the market entry for that person. And it's just, it, there's no groundswell around the leaf. No, I agree. But uh, this I is the know. thing that leads to the thing that leads to the practical thing that solves the problem. <laughs> that is just the greatest catchphrase in podcast history. This is the thing that leads to the thing that leads to the thing. That's what it right. works. Jeff Reiki. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, let it tri- we'll let it trickle down. Exactly. Trickle down engineering. We have plenty of time, right? <laughs> no, we'll get to that later too. No, all right. <clears throat> now, our next most popular story: Oklahoma governor seeks massive incentives to lure company. On Monday, Oklahoma governor Kevin Stitt asked lawmakers to approve a massive package of financial incentives to help lure an unnamed company to the state. He couldn't name the company due to an NDA and even or even give the total cost of the package. He hinted that it had something to do with EVs and the company planned to build one of the largest manufacturing facilities in the country. A quote, humongous factory with billions and billions of dollars worth of investment, thousands and thousands of jobs. That is a quote. (laughs) A new bill could authorize rebates of up to nearly 700 million in state funds if the company hits $4.5 billion in capital expenditure and the creation of up to 4,000 new jobs within the first four years of the project. Jeff, your thoughts on who the company might be? Is, you know, Anna and I were just talking about this. Is this the manufacturing version of the Tinder swindler or um, <laughs> bad vegan or something like that? Or is, is there somebody behind the scenes just manipulating these governors or, or, oh, or what? It's not a real company. That yeah. could be the next wave of Netflix documentaries is the uh, mm-hmm. industrial espionage type stuff. Well, yeah, this is in, an espionage. The guess, industrial but. swindler. Yeah. I'm going to bring you billions. What do you got for Don't me? Don't ask so many questions. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. No, I mean, this is obviously, this is the same thing. We covered this with Kansas as well. Mm-hmm. They were in the same situation. That's supposedly probably the same company, which I think is rumored to be Panasonic is what they think it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We don't know that for sure. Um, it's interesting. I was looking and trying to figure out, like, why would high-ranking officials in these states be so after this company and be willing to sort of do these black ops type thing here? <laughs> I mean, you're looking at Kansas and Oklahoma. They're really middle of the road in terms of like GDP. Mm-hmm. They've got lower than average unemployment rates. There's a lot of good reasons why companies would want to go to these states in terms of the land is less expensive, the standard of the cost of living is less, mm-hmm. a lot of positive recruitment tools there. So why are they after these guys so badly? Mm-hmm. And I think it just comes down to the fact that when you look at what has happened in the southeastern part of the country, Spartanburg, South Carolina, when BMW moved into that facility and built that huge manufacturing plant, there was just this swarm 
mm-hmm. of automotive activity that was just drawn to all the surrounding area. And I think that's what Oklahoma and Kansas here are both chasing. Mm-hmm. They just think, man, if we can just get this one in mm-hmm. here, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Now, the fact that this company is wanting to remain secret is so weird. Yeah. It's so interesting. It just makes you feel like they must have a consumer-facing brand as well, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they want to make sure that they're not over-promising and under-delivering. We know who that reminds us of here in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, so it, it, there must be have something to protect there. You just hope with the competition now heating up between these two states, it doesn't cloud the judgment of a lot of these legislators. And they're just going, well, it's not as important that we get this plant. It's just we got to beat these guys. Yeah. Don't let them get it. We got to get it. I mean, part of it, uh, wasn't it that they had to dip into reserves to possibly get this, uh, the state's reserves? Yeah. And I thought about, Anna, I thought about the Panasonic thing too, but mm-hmm. it seems like Panasonic <clears throat> had already narrowed it down to Kansas and Texas. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of surprised that Oklahoma was making this play for it, but it reminded me of when Oklahoma made the play for Tesla, mm-hmm. when Tesla was shopping around that assembly plant that eventually went to Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Remember in Oklahoma and Tulsa, they repainted that golden driller statue, like the fam- famous statue in yeah. Tesla. They painted oh, yeah. it gold and they mm-hmm. put the Tesla logo on it. And Tesla was like, great. You weren't even in the running. Yeah. Like, but thanks. We'll take a photo and use it on social. <laughs> so I don't know. It just, it seems to me like Oklahoma might be making a late play to a game that they're kind of already out of. Maybe, but we really don't know for sure if it is Panasonic. True. It could be, you know, there's so many um, supply chain partners in the EV space that there's like a lot of possibilities. But uh for me, I think it's, you know, it's a little bit hard to watch. These NDAs, I think, are getting in the way of transparency that I think maybe yeah. the taxpayers are owed in these types of situations, especially when the investments um, are so massive that just people might need to know a little bit more about this before the deals are done. Mm-hmm. Like almost like there should be a threshold at which point like you hit that number yeah. and it like triggers like a more comprehensive like audit process or something. Because right now it's like, you don't know. I mean, maybe a handful of people with stars in their eyes that are like hoping to get reelected and they're like, this could be my big play, you know? I I think that's a big part of it. These are two Mm -hmm. first term governors. Mm -hmm. So I think they are looking for that big hit that they can build on, you know, future down the road. Well, yeah. And, you know, I I know that the counterpoint is like you got to give these leaders, you know, they're elected. You got to give them the freedom to kind of wheel and deal. But I do think that there should maybe be some middle ground there and some accountability besides just like these handful yeah. of people that like, um, you know, like if the the only accountability is like some guy doesn't get reelected like that. I don't yeah. think that's a good deal for the taxpayers, you know, and 700 million in state funds. Like I looked up um, Oklahoma's annual state budget and this is like 8% of the state's entire oh. annual budget. Man. Like that is a big spend yeah. Yeah. for something that you're not even going to reveal until the deal is done. And we know that these can go south easily. We've seen that happen so many times. So I don't know. It seems a little bit it, that that would make me nervous. It would definitely make me nervous as well. And I think that is a really interesting idea that maybe some of these municipalities or states should start putting in that, that threshold where, mm-hmm. okay, you guys at $500 million. We're going to have to at least let them know who it is. Right. We need to talk about this. Uh, we need to form like some sort of committee or I don't know. It just well, I think transparency is a big deal. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about these kind of money, especially when it gets this competitive, and I think that does get in the way sometimes. Um, I still I still like the magic bean quote. 
the best with that uh, representative in Kansas was talking about. We want to buy these magic beans. We won't tell you where it's going to be oh, yeah. or what's going to, or what it's going to be. Just that it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. That was the quote from uh, Molly Baumgartner. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know what? It worked out for Jack. what could possibly go wrong right uh all right our next most popular story aerospace startup wants to cross pacific in an hour texas company yeah what could go wrong (laughs) texas company venus aerospace says it has a new technology that could enable flights at speeds of 12 times the speed of sound or 9200 miles per hour They recently raised $20 million all in an effort to make a zero-carbon space plane that could cross the globe in an hour. The aircraft would behave somewhat like a space shuttle with rocket engines to climb to an altitude of about 150,000 feet so you can see, like, the emptiness of space and then glide to your destination. Or glide to your death. Anna, from Los Angeles to Tokyo in 60 minutes? For those no. of you who are listening to this, please go watch the video on our site just so you can see Anna's face as David is describing this and just the like no buy-in at all. Like just not an inch. Bleak just yeah. sheer. It's you know, it's an interesting new concept. Instead of going A to B mm-hmm. fast, they're going A to B super fast. Mm-hmm. And there's gliding and sounds really easy. It's just glide. It's already you done. Just glide, glide right in. Yeah. Glide. You know, I'm gonna put my personal perspective on this aside. <laughs> And just say (laughs) that I think that there are still a lot of barriers to super and hypersonic air travel. And there's a few, I don't know, I feel like some of these are being underestimated by the developers. Um, Some things are, are, I think, timely and potentially fixable, like expense. Obviously, fuel prices are super high right now. Ticket prices would be higher for this. Um, But, you know, that stuff could diminish with scale. We don't know. Mm -hmm. But there are more nebulous concerns that I think need to be considered like this potentially new normal phenomenon of people not traveling for business as much anymore. And I think the business case for this is best for business travelers. When you think about companies being incentivized to pay a higher ticket price for somebody being unavailable less, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just quicker. Um, But the pandemic, like, I mean, we Zoom got a a two-year audition. I think a lot of people figured out there's a lot of ways to transact Remotely, you don't need to fly across an ocean to have an effective meeting. But for me, what I think is one of the most permanent concerns is just consumer fear. Mm-hmm. Like the quote, I think in the article said that you go high enough to view the black the blackness of space. Mm-hmm. That might not be a selling point for the average traveler. <laughs> like I know so many people who can barely get on an airplane without taking like Paxil or Ambien or something because they're so terrified. I think it's been documented that. Anxiety has been up since the pandemic, Um, not to mention like and maybe this is just me, but like the hyper concept or hypersonic concept, like the wording has been so closely tied to like military weaponry. Oh, yeah. That in my mind, like it doesn't. I don't know. I don't. Does that That could be that could be the current climate, though, just where we are right now in terms of talking about hypersonic weaponry oh for sure that's exactly but that doesn't i think detract from my point which is like right now that's does that like appeal to a consumer i don't know i mean if you look at the verbiage on venus's website it looks like consumers are who they are going after Mm -hmm. and um i think that there's maybe some psychological groundwork to be made up here Uh, i don't know if 
consumers are quite ready to do this. I know I'm not, but again, putting that aside. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a, you know, it's a good hybrid between improving air travel and pairing it with space tourism. Like a little hybrid. You want to go to the view the blackness? This is actually, uh, this was the first time I was uh, watching one of these, watching one of our videos and reading the article where I thought, you know what? This one might be too much. Like a little too much. (laughs) Even Even for for you. Even for you. I was just, you know, I, well, I thought about it going, I mean, even crossing the country. I just, I just sat on a flight from Milwaukee to Phoenix for four hours. And as much as, you know, I love kids. There was a lot of them in my particular area. Mm -hmm. And then I sat another four hours in an airport so that way I could make the 50-minute jump from Phoenix to Anaheim. So don't get me wrong. It's fresh in my mind how I want to be on a plane and in airports less. Yeah. But if that means getting fired into space and (laughs) gliding into Anaheim, I don't know. I don't think think this is a uh, Milwaukee to Anaheim. Well, it, application. not now. Like we said with Lucid, it's down the road. This is not the thing. This is the thing before the I thing. I think this is way down the road. So longtime contributor, sometimes podcast panelist Andy Zoll put this one together. And I think his last paragraph kind of sums it all up. He said, like other hypersonic flight concepts, don't contact your travel agent anytime soon. <laughs> the co-founder and CTO of this company said the project has so far only moved from impossible to hard. So I think we're a long ways away from this. Um, I'm not as concerned about people's feelings mm. as Anna is. I think that's great. I was thinking more about their physical safety in terms Jeff, of. I'm not asking you to be concerned about their feelings. I'm saying that their feelings might prevent them from buying the ticket. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's not where I went initially. I was thinking more about how in the world are we going to be able to put people in a rocket like that just seems so far off, especially when we've talked about the main application has been weapons. Mm. And now we're going right from shooting a missile yeah. to hauling people. Right. I think the I think there is tons of application for hypersonic technology. I think the biggest one is actually more in supply chain, cargo, things like that, getting supplies to troops, getting food to people who need it more quickly when bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where the application is. To go into sending people on these, I think we are a jet like I will not see this in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Let's put it. That I way. don't know. I don't know. So I think it's interesting. I I would like to see this technology channeled differently mm-hmm. right now, because I think there is something that we can do right now with this that's more useful than sending people across the ocean. This is going to be the new FedEx. You know when Great. those I when think those be awesome. yeah when those chips become available, every automaker would put it on this plane to get it here in fifteen minutes. Um. Jonathan Allen, a frequent commenter on the site, not really sure if he's into the podcast. He never comments on that. You know what? That actually says a lot. He comments on every article and video except the podcast. But he Don't says, take it personally, this looks like one more exotic project to provide the super rich with a bit of extra convenience while consuming unimaginable amounts of energy. And I just wanted to say, agree. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, uh, also, Jeff, when they go from impossible to hard, what they're saying is there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. So it's all this one in a million talk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did. They went from no chance to one in a million. Now, but the company has had a great year. In the past year, they went from three employees to 40. So, you know, a little bit there. And they recently built a test engine, held experiments in hypersonic wind tunnels and propulsion test facilities and started working towards a ground test. So at least they're moving forward. We've had a lot of companies that we've seen with 
renderings and simulations go a lot further, a lot faster. Where this, they're actually building something. We got a simulation tunnel. That's right. They have a simulation. They've got a Hot Wheels sized plane and a simulation <laughs> tunnel. And it's like, like a toilet paper roll yeah. with the Hot Wheels in it. Well, it's just like a fan on. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to stand up. Give me 20 million. Right? 20 million? The, this yeah. fan is on high, though, you guys. <laughs> All right. Our next most popular story. BMW CEO warns against, quote, EV push. BMW CEO Oliver Zips says automakers need to be wary of the EV push because it increases dependency on a select few countries, like China. China pretty much controls the supply of raw materials for batteries. BMW CEO said, quote, if someone can't buy an EV but needs a car, would you rather propose he drive his old car forever? Regulators are putting pressure on automakers to curb carbon emissions, and the CEO has been outspoken against an all-out ban on combustion engine cars. Zips says, sorry, I'm getting that wrong. Zips says EV prices and problems with charging infrastructure should keep fuel-efficient combustion engine cars not just viable, but vital to both the environment and bottom line. Jeff, I wanted to go to you first because of all of the people in the podcast that have been outspoken about an all-out ban on combustion engine cars. It's you. Um, yeah, but are there is there really a ban? I mean, I have not heard of any bans on selling or buying a combustion engine vehicle. So right. California, I think, is the most aggressive right now, and they have said they want to phase out new sales of internal combustion engine cars by 2035. So it's a ways off. Yeah, I guess. And that's I, one state. Yeah, so. I, and that's what they want to do, mm-hmm. right? And I, I get CARB is very powerful, and they kind of tell the EPA what to do half the time. But it just <laughs> – I get where he's coming from, and I actually agree with his perspective here mm-hmm. in terms of let's – pardon the pun – pump the brakes a little bit here on Ooh. the EVs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get that, but we've talked about all the other issues there are in terms of supply chain issues, in terms of the grid problems, all of that kind of stuff – but for his rationale to basically be, hey, man, what if you need a new car and you can't afford one because all that's available is EVs? We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. The only places I've heard of any of these types of bans on having a regular vehicle are some inner city areas within Europe, mm-hmm. like yep. blocks within London and Paris. And a lot of that is they want the emissions to come down. So they're instituting more hybrid vehicles for their mass transit, for ride sharing, things like that. Gotcha. Okay. So- I can see a little bit of the perspective there, but again, we seem so far away from a ban. And when you're talking about the extra costs of EVs, I did a little bit of math here, which is always a little scary for me. But (laughs) in comparing the traditional costs, if you took a very comparable vehicle in terms of size, capabilities, all that kind of stuff, they are more expensive. Mm -hmm. And if you factor in the savings from a maintenance and gas perspective, if you finance that vehicle out in the Mm -hmm. same way, you are going to spend between $100 and $125 more per month mm. on an electric vehicle okay. in today's dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. That is not when things come to scale. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if all these things come to fruition in terms of the EVs being not your only option, but you having limited non-EV options when it comes to buying a vehicle, you would think a lot of that is going to fall within, it's going to fall into the parameters of what we're dealing with now, all things being equal. That's sort of the way free markets work. Mm-hmm. Um, so his rationale is kind of, odd here. I wonder if some of these leaders, when you look at these folks and the uh, folks in Kansas and Oklahoma doing backdoor, you know, 
secret deals here? Like, are some of these leaders having trouble coming out of the cocoon just like everybody else from the <laughs> pandemic? Like, they're just struggling to rationalize their thoughts in some way because mm-hmm. there's lots of reasons, again, to be tentative on pushing EVs. The main reason he gave here is not one of them. It was very yeah. dramatic. Well, yeah. we did the story on higher executive turnover after the pandemic kind of uh, loosened a little bit. So maybe he's just getting out ahead of it, <laughs> you know, making sure like I got to be strong and I got to make great product predictions about the future mm-hmm. of the automotive industry. Anna, you know, we talk a lot about these goals, like you said, in California, 2035. Mm-hmm. What if we don't hit these EV goals, right? There has to be, I mean, I get it. We want to work aggressively towards it. Mm -hmm. But let's say in this future that he is talking about, there's still got to be a backup, right? Well, That's not a bicycle? (laughs) I mean, like I said, if the most aggressive goals right now put us well into a decade from now and everyone else is behind that and uh, uh, there's going to be ice cars on the road for a very long time, decades. I mean, I just... uh, like Jeff said, I think that that argument was very weak. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just it, it didn't really hold up. Um, and you know, honestly, like I'm a believer in EVs, as you know. Um, but he makes a few fair points around infrastructure, partly because I think people need charging infrastructure, but also because it's a security blanket for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, mentally who are kind of on the fence about like not wanting to be like caught in the middle of nowhere, unable to find a place to charge. Um, some of this can be solved with portable charging systems, which are like close to ready to go. Some pretty like tech uh, impressive um, options that you can just like throw in your trunk. And if you need it, you just zap your car and get, you know, get some extra power. Sorry, zap. No, that's, uh, that's great. But um, I think until you see charging options like close, even close to the regularity with which you see a gas station, then people are going to have some misgivings. And, you know, obviously gas stations had a 100 year head start, mm-hmm. but it's a bit of a chicken and egg issue with that. I mean, that's not going to advance until either A, more people have EVs or B, the government funds it. And that's what the federal government is trying to do right now. They just announced in February that they're allocating $5 billion to help states um, incorporate more charging infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're working on it, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, to me, it was like the the most laughable statement was just the the what he was saying about the internal combustion engine cars and how people were not going to be able to like have a car. Or, yeah, like, a car. Yeah, I, I think he was hinting at there's more environmental damage having them running around an old vehicle that they wanted to replace than oh, gotcha. Being able to afford a new one. Yeah, I just <clears throat> we're, we're so far off from like full saturation of this technology, and I just again, you know. T- not to belabor the point, but it was a little bit silly. I like that your initial reaction was just weak. To the just, argument? Yeah, just weak BMW. <laughs> well, I mean, it... I, I mean, know. it was. Like it's sort a base, of a, like a lazy argument. Well, I it's know, kind like, of... A, that's yeah. The whole cost thing is kind of odd coming from BMW. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean... Their vehicles aren't exactly the everyday driver for most people. Yeah. So. Well, and BMW's had an EV on the market for longer than almost anybody. Like they put out that little one. The i3? The i, yeah. Like t- 10 at least years ago, I think, or mm-hmm. maybe not that long ago, but it was, um, but it, it's been around for a while. So they've been like at this technology for a while. And I know that 
automakers have a lot of money wrapped up in this transition and it is hard. And I will acknowledge that, um, that this is probably not what they would have done if they had the choice. Yeah. However, um, to Jeff's point, there's lots of other challenges that we could be (laughs) focusing on right now other than that. One thing that I would like to admit that I've been ignorant to about this entire EV move forward is that as a result of renting and owning and living in a home for so long, I didn't really think about logistically how it would work for, what is it, 80% of the population that lives in apartments Mm -hmm. Um, and what that would look like if they had any, like what charging would look like for people living in those sort of complexes. And I mean, infrastructure is one thing, gas stations is another, but if you're parking, you know, every sort of apartment complex in America would have to change its parking structure. And uh, that was something that I just never thought of. I was like, I don't know. You get a government incentive, you get the charger in your garage, Mm -hmm. easy peasy. I didn't really think about the giant undertaking that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of parking spots in a apartment complex would. Well, not necessarily. I mean, there's tons of research has been going into like rapid charging as well as like road charging and stuff. I mean, there's lots of ways to charge that don't, doesn't have to be at your house. I mean, you don't fill up your car at your house. No one expects that at this point. Mm -hmm. So if you can make it fast enough for somebody to do it somewhere else, then that's a a viable option, I believe. No, agreed. It was just, uh, it was one thing that I kind of hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other is, the other that I just wanted to pose is, you know, what if the alternative is the end of the world? You know, we can make it, we can make it work. <laughs> right. Like, let's just try harder. Well, no, like, yeah. like, like you said, with the pandemic, when faced with an uncertain and kind of grim reality, mm-hmm. people were able to pivot into new ways of living. Exactly. And so it's possible. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I also just really wanted to pose that question just, but what if? It was the end of the world. <laughs> and you had to drive an electric car. You no! have to, David, you have I to drive gas. No. You have to drive a Nissan Leaf or die. No. What do, you, what do you choose? I choose to die in my hybrid RAV that really doesn't do anything except run on gas. It has mild regenerative braking that adds pretty much nothing to the equation. Really? But you, I mean, I, you know, at Easter, my stepbrother came up to me. He's like, you know what? Tell me a little bit about the hybrid because gas prices right now got me thinking maybe at least a hybrid. I'm not ready to go to EV. And then I told him like what I'm getting performance wise, both in particularly in the winter. It's, you know, not great. Okay. And uh, it, yeah, you see the hybrid label on the back of that mm-hmm. SUV and just think oh, good on you, bud. And then I just want to invite you in to look at the dash and be like, yeah, see that? It says 26. And that says 24 when I got to make sure my kids are warm. So it's, uh, it's not okay. good. It's not good. I mean, in the summer, in the, in, in the city, you're all right. You know, but. Uh, in the summer? In the city? In the summer. In the, night. In the city. In the city. Okay. Goes down. <laughs> all right. Before we break out into song, let's move into our most popular story this week. Rivian CEO calls chip shortage small appetizer. Rivian CEO R.J. Scaringe says semiconductor problems could be, quote, a small appetizer compared to a shortage of EV batteries and the metals needed to make them. At a recent Rivian plant tour, he said, quote, all the world's cell production combined represents well under 10 percent of what we'll need in 10 years. That means 90 percent to 95 percent of the supply chain doesn't exist yet. Rivian plans to diversify its suppliers and create its own. Uh, But 
even Elon Musk, Jeff, has warned about future battery supplies and suggested that Tesla might get directly involved in mining and refining industries. So, so he's picking up on your your thought that the world is ending. Oh yeah, I mean this this is it's shot. Yeah, why, why nobody else should even try. That's kind of what he's saying here, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you're thinking about getting in this market, it's a bad move. You mm-hmm. don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I wonder Too why. Late. I wonder why he would say that. Yeah. I also so like crazy. his math. Just like, I mean, if ten per, under ten percent, I mean that means it's ninety on the other side. Of course, bananas. <laughs> well, it's it's crazy because we've. I mean, I'm glad we're doing another EV story because mm-hmm. we haven't talked about this yeah, in a little bit. Yeah, we should cover EVs yeah. at some point during the yeah. podcast. I the mean, horse is dead. I got it. <laughs> and there are plenty of struggles, okay? Mm-hmm. We know about all the supply chain stuff. We know about the problems with lithium. We know about the fact that a lot of these supplies aren't there, the the, the strain on the grid, all mm-hmm. that stuff. John Dearden, one of our favorite listeners, wrote in again, talked about the copper um, limits that, oh, the, yeah. you know, and the, the strain that that's sure. putting on mm-hmm. with, with, uh, EV ba- with EV batteries and all that. <clears throat> The one thing is there is another solution out there. Mm-hmm. It's called their sodium ion batteries. Right now, EVs are running on lithium ion batteries. Another possible option is sodium ion batteries. Sodium is much more readily available. It's less expensive. It's non-flammable, so it's a lot safer. The biggest issue with it, and it's, it's also I feel a lot better in like heat and cold as well than mm-hmm. lithium batteries, but it isn't as dense. Okay, which means it doesn't hold its charge as long as a Mm. lithium ion battery, which is why it has not been universally Mm. accepted by automakers. And that brings us back to the fact that one of the reasons we have a lot of these supply chain issues is the stuff we've talked about so far and consumers feeling like there needs to be more power, better range. We talked last week about EVs getting heavier. Mm -hmm. So that places more strain on power generation and keeping the batteries charged. So in some ways, the EV big players are sort of exacerbating this issue with the supply chain because they feel in order to get people engaged, they need to have these super dense batteries with more power and greater range. Mm -hmm. I wonder if at one point to help alleviate some of this, we are going to look at a technology like sodium ion batteries where you can have an EV, not to single you out, but you live close to work. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got a 20 minute commute. If that's what I needed to do to have a vehicle that got up to 70 miles an hour and I have to plug it in when I get here to get home. Yeah. That's a solution. Yeah. This is, you know, we were talking about stuff like we'll figure it out. Yeah. There's other technologies out there too. Yeah. And he points out Mm -hmm. a lot of issues that again, just, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, there's stuff out there, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of an overreaction. No. And I mean, to your first point, I want to say that, you know, John Dearden is just, uh, you know, uh, credit to the Today awesome. Manufacturing yeah. podcast. There's a lot of good stuff. I mean, faithful listener Doug still has that original place in my heart, but you know, now he's got a roommate. <laughs> <laughs> roommate in David's heart. That's right. Okay. Uh, it's not filling up. No. <laughs> still just empty and black in there. Yeah, yeah. there's two rooms. A lot of vacancy. No. <laughs> David's family is so happy to hear this. They're in the other room. <laughs> oh, I got John and Doug all crowded in there. And then my family. Well, I mean, There's four ventricles. <laughs> no, there. How many ventricles are there? Oh, anyway, Anna. Uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a trivia question. We're not there yet. Yeah, we don't don't ask us anything. Your, your thoughts on uh, Rivian's small appetizer? Yeah, I like. I thought we were talking about semiconductors, but we're talking about like chips and salsa. I think he doesn't. <laughs> that's how little he knows about the, the problem. That's right. Um, no, I grant that he has pinpointed a big issue for auto. Um, but I will say that the semiconductor shortage, I think, caught the industry flat footed. And we've been playing catch up since then. 
In the case of battery cells, like virtually every major manufacturer is already working to solve this problem Mm -hmm. before it starts. Um, In 2021, the analyst Alex Partners forecast that the companies that companies would invest three hundred and thirty billion dollars in the next five years throughout the EV supply chain globally. Whoa. Yeah. So um, automakers seem to be determined to like simplify these supply chains. It sounds like they have learned a lot from the semiconductor shortage and they're trying to avoid the disruptions, ease logistics, lower costs. Um, You know, I think that was like that kind of rang an alarm bell for Mm -hmm. them. And so these long, complex offshore supply chains, um, maybe maybe we're trying to get away from those. But mm-hmm. but yeah, if you look at like so Toyota, GM, Stellantis, like everybody is trying to take a vertical approach to this problem. They're creating joint ventures with battery makers. Um, they're trying to target this and scale it. Um, and and the investment increase, like so Alex Partners had forecast in 2018 um, the amount of investment in this this area. And it was actually up by 65 percent just in those three years, 2018 to 2021. Wow. Like that's massive, you know. Yeah. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. So I know that there's, you know, will we meet exactly at the right point between like demand and supply? I don't know. But I do know that it's not like this is just like he's he's raising this alarm and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, we didn't think of that. Like everyone has (laughs) thought of that. (laughs) Wait a second. We're. There's a lithium shortage. Right. Everyone knows about it in automotive. It's not like nothing's being done. A lot's being done. Uh, Jeff, this reminded me of your, in case you missed it, that you had either last week or the week before about how, you know, the whites, the white house is considering invoking the defense production act for critical materials used in EV batteries. And I just thought, you know, uh, that story though, it wasn't in case you missed it has seemed to like ring louder and louder every week with every uh, story we've been doing. Well, and to Anna's point, we're aware of these things. This mm-hmm. isn't new. And even with the chip situation, I, I think it's been interesting to see how automakers have responded, in some cases, turning out vehicles that were missing chips. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have some of those creature comforts that you wanted. This is another one of those situations where I know it kind of sounded like a, I don't know, just like a throwaway statement, but we will figure it out. Like yeah. there is, there are solutions to these things. This EV technology has now gotten to a point of refinement where we can have workarounds without breaking anything or putting anybody at danger. Mm-hmm. And if that's what we need to do, that's what will happen. Again, this is another, maybe this is another case of a guy coming out of the pandemic cocoon and just like not really articulating his thoughts as clearly as he could have. And I thought maybe Elon Musk is just way ahead on this one because with the boring company, he could completely uh, redo logistics in this country. But if he simultaneously runs these tunnels through lithium rich areas, he'll also be, yeah, solving a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. He is the Lex Luthor of modern day. That's right. On land and under it. Oh, and in the sky too. He's just doing it. He shaves his head. Watch out. (laughs) All right. Well, before we move on to, in case you missed it, we have another word from our sponsor. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. 
VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back. And just a reminder that if you want a free sample of Oil Eater, click the link to the form below. All right, now on to In Case You Missed It, the stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Anna, I'd like to start with you. What is your In Case You Missed It this week? Sure. Um, So the Associated Press is reporting a widening disparity between the richest buyers of vehicles and everyone else, which seems sort of obvious, but but what they say are that uh, while affluent buyers are plunking down cash for pricey vehicles, millions are competing instead for a shrunken supply of used autos, especially smaller, less expensive ones that consume less fuel. Mm. Um, I think it's important to also remember that outside of inflation and supply shortages, that vehicles have been getting more expensive for years. And so this problem was perhaps a long time coming and now it's becoming easy to blame some of these other variables. But the fact of the matter is that automakers aren't making less expensive vehicles anymore, or a lot of them are kind of killing some of those smaller, more fuel efficient models. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of created this perfect storm of terrible for anyone that doesn't have enough money to just get whatever they want. Um, And I think the same thing has been kind of happening in the housing market where everybody wants a starter home and the supply is just uh, unavailable. It's just too many people competing for that level. So um, like what happens next? You know, is this a temporary problem? Is this a permanent problem? Are we going to see automotive as like the next luxury item? Um, Because as EVs enter the mix, at least initially, that's not going to lower prices at first until that's kind of scaled and in effect. But um, yeah, I just thought like the story was interesting, if not alarming, Mm -hmm. to think about like how long this problem is going to persist. Because we, I think in our minds, we think like, oh, there's all these Uh, Problems that are sort of pandemic related or war in Ukraine related or um, all these things that like we just have to figure them out and then they're going to be fixed. Um, We have to add capacity and semiconductors to fix the automotive supply shortage. Like, does that solve this problem? Not completely. So um, I think it's one of those things that maybe at some point people are going to realize that, uh, that this is a is a problem without an easy solution, mm-hmm. and it may be kind of a persistent one, unfortunately. Jeff, uh, do you have a crystal ball on this one? As to uh... <laughs> man, it no, this is a, this was a really interesting um, article, and it's this is not going to get solved anytime soon. I mean, the supply chain issues they're thinking like what mid twenty twenty three is when mm-hmm. they think they'll finally have the chip thing figured out. Yeah, and that isn't going to trickle down for years after that mm-hmm. because like you said they're, they're looking at pickups and suvs or what the primary new vehicles pumping out are it does open up opportunities for vehicles in that more mid-range so when you look at manufacturers like nissan and hyundai some of the toyotas they're in honda they do have some opportunities there but the problem there is if you can't afford a new vehicle which not everybody can the next time you're going to get a shot at that vehicle is probably around forty thousand miles mm. well these vehicles last forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're still pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. And then your next shot at them really is you're looking upwards of 90 to 100,000 miles. And then 
you're going to still play a decent price, especially if the supply chain issue persists. Yeah. Right? And you're also coming into that area where you're going to be dealing with a lot of maintenance issues potentially with these vehicles. So this is going to be a really tough one for that middle market. Mm. This isn't going to get figured out for a while. I think you are going to see older vehicles on the road even longer. Yeah. And we're already seeing the average age increase exponentially year over mm-hmm. year. I think that's going to continue to happen. It's going to be interesting to see what happens once those vehicles just, you know, they turn into your neon yeah. and they can't go mm-hmm. any further. Yeah. What are these folks going to be able to do? Well, and at what point does it come back to bite the automakers mm-hmm. for kind of creating this problem in a sense because they don't want to build those smaller uh, vehicles that are lighter and more expensive and um, be- or inexpensive rather because their margins are not as good on those. Um, mm-hmm. And so at some point, are people just going to hang on and hang on and not buy new vehicles? I don't know. Or you can see an uptick in public transportation or something. It'll, it will be interesting to see how this goes. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I understand the, how people hang on for too long. It's you buy the car, initially hate it because it's just not what you were thinking, eventually grow to like it. And then towards the end when it doesn't even work anymore, love it and be unable to get rid of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This seems to have worked for me. In wow. The past. Is that your arc? <laughs> yeah. <Man>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? So you know, you guys know how much I love when government gets way too involved and things that involve you the private sector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how that just, especially when it's politically motivated, how I just, it's just, it's just fun yeah, to t- take a look at. It doesn't bother me. It's just fun. doesn't, you know. Tickles your fancy. <sighs> so my article talks about Texas halts truck inspections that caused a border gridlock. So going back to the beginning of the month, beginning of April, Basically, President Biden said all of these restrictions we had on people coming to the border seeking asylum, we're going to drop those. They were put in place for government, for health reasons, for health protocols related to the the pandemic. He's going to drop those. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said, "Okay, if you're going to do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to station additional people at the border that are going to be requiring additional inspections of all commercial trucks coming from Mexico. His thought was he need, they needed extra inspections to curb the flow of immigrants and drugs mm. coming in from Mexico. Because yes. all of a sudden, that's a bigger priority. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's up for re-election in a state that Donald Trump won two years in a row. I don't know if you remember, he was the guy, or two elections in a row, I should say. He was the guy I think wanted to build a wall or something mm-hmm. along there. Mm-hmm. So... That's what was driving this. Well, in the process of establishing these additional inspections that were ratchet, that were keeping some of these trucks on the border for up to like 30 extra hours at a time, oh my goodness. hauling things like produce and food mm-hmm. and automotive products. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar, but those are things that we've kind of had supply chain issues with mm-hmm. yeah. that were basically sitting at the border for days at a time. Mm. Finally- He has rescinded this order because according to him, he's talked to local governments of these surrounding Mexican communities, and they're going to be stricter with border security. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the fact that you've got organizations like the American Trucking Association calling the inspections wholly flawed, redundant, and adding considerable weight on an already strained supply chain. Because just to be clear, these trucks were already being inspected by border agents, Mm -hmm. by customs agents. Right. Okay. They've been through another one. He was sending him through an additional inspection holding everything up. He finally dropped that. Things are flowing again. But the fact that this was turning into a political debate, when you're talking about food and automotive, if you've been to the grocery store lately, you've seen what's going on with food prices. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help. Automotive supply chain is strained. And plus, when you look at Mexico, and I'm not 
making light of some of the issues along the border. Right. Border security is important. I'm not advocating a lax, a lapse in those that area or anything like that. But to all of a sudden stick these extra precautions, if you will, in there. By the way, they found no illegal immigrants or drugs during any of these inspections for the last three weeks. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is maddening. Yeah. This is just, this is a political play to make a point that was pointless and hurt people. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I always like it when political gamesmanship, you know, wreaks havoc on an entire supply chain in the nation. Yeah. And by the way, he will not um, even think twice about doing it again. Oh, no, that's right. Get ready. Yeah. I'm serious and I mean business. Yeah. Well, luckily, he's collected all the sound bites that he needs for the next campaign to show how stern he is on border security. No, you can just let it go. Yeah. Uh, Anna, any thoughts on the truck inspections at the border? Uh, what really got me was when I saw that produce was actually spoiling on these trucks. Yeah. Like that is, I mean, that something needs to change when that's happening. Like yeah. whatever your resolve is to solve some problem, like the, so don't bring the trucks in then if you're going to let that happen. Like that's just a when, waste of everyone's when time. Something's working. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it stops working because somebody thinks they're the smartest guy in the room. That's a problem. I don't care what your political party is or anything else. Yeah. It shouldn't take three weeks to fix it. No. All right. <clears throat> My, in case you missed it this week, is that the FDA is investigating Lucky Charms. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. The FDA is looking into Lucky Charms cereal after receiving more than 230 complaints. Several hundred people have complained of nausea, diarrhea, and vomiting. General Mills says it's taking the reports seriously but can't find any evidence of consumer illness linked to Lucky Charms. According to Business Insider, the FDA has initiated an on-site inspection, but hasn't started analyzing samples or announced a recall. On a website called IWasPoisoned.com, more than 4,500 people have reported feeling ill after eating Lucky Charms. 4,500? That is a lot. And... I mean, it could just be the sugar content in Lucky Charms because I I brought this. I wanted to bring up this article, not because, you know, a a major brand is taking a big hit and Mm -hmm. something bad could be happening with its products, but because of the insane sugar contents in Mm -hmm. cereal. And it could just be the fact that people can't handle that much sugar on a daily basis in the morning. Right. Or they're hungover. When are you eating this cereal other, another time? I don't know. I haven't shoveled fistfuls of Lucky Charms into my face at all hours of the day in a long time. You know, I'm growing up. I'm growing up. I was going to say, I think it, maybe it's just, it's not for adults. It's not. Yeah. Adults cannot handle this. Lucky Charms, yeah. I was probably 10 years old. Yeah. Which I loved them at that yeah. point. But like, have you seen a child on Lucky Charms? I, you know, I was trying to be cool, dad. <laughs> just, you know what? I'm going to give them some Lucky Charms. I gave them one bowl had a horrible day and went outside and burned the rest of those marshmallows. You burned them? Set them on fire. Did they fire. actually burn? Well, I mean, no, I actually just... <laughs> kind of like... Yeah, I just kind of hit them in my room. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to... I can't believe that 4,500 people even know about the website iwaspoisoned.com. Yeah, it's... That, I mean, it's also... The first time I'm hearing of it. Like it's like you're, a Netflix show. If you're Googling how to alert somebody at, that you're possibly poisoned... I feel like, shouldn't you know you go to the FDA? I, I mean, I, I mean, maybe IWasPoisoned.com just beats FDA and Google search results. I guess. I don't, yeah, so I like mean. Crowdsourcing for complaints type thing? Yeah, it, and it's, uh, it's just odd that I always, uh, whenever I see the statements about the companies, like, hey, we launched an investigation. 
couldn't find anything. Yeah, they're not doing anything about this. They're not recalling it. They're not analyzing samples. They're just like, hmm, that sucks. Yeah, so maybe just tread lightly on the Lucky yeah. Charms. In the yeah, next just couple weeks. The sensitive constitutions of uh, people eating Lucky Charms. Yeah, General Mills is not impressed by everyone's <laughs> <laughs> stomach. Right? Just not in feeling Anna, it. In Anna's like, words, they're weak. Yeah, they're weak. General Mills is like, that's how it's supposed to feel. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you been eating these for years? Have you ever felt good after eating a bowl plus? Because it's always the plus of Lucky Charms. Because you have the bowl, you make the initial pour, and then you realize you don't see enough marshmallows. Mm-hmm. So you got to cherry pick a little bit. But don't you see the picture that they always use? It's part of a balanced breakfast. It's oh, yeah. with the orange juice yep. and like the toast. Balanced a- against the vomiting. <laughs> oh, man. I can't. I can't. I, oh, no. It was, it was St. Patty's Day. Uh, for St. Patty's Day, the teachers sent the kids home from school with bag how you can just buy marshmallows now yeah i didn't know you could do that until yeah it I was got that they got sent home bags of marshmallows mm-hmm. lucky charms marshmallows and they were ecstatic of course because they were given tiny little baggies of drugs for the first time in their life mm-hmm. they're like that's amazing and there's anyway. a sound bite yeah <laughs> the first time i saw lucky charms marshmallows uh for sale individually was at the mall of america mm-hmm. and it stopped me dead in my tracks I was walking by and I'm like, oh, look at this cereal place. All they sell is cereal. Excuse me. You sell nothing but marshmallows. When I was a kid, I would eat it. Like, did you eat it this way where you would eat all the like pellet parts first and Mm -hmm. then save the marshmallows for the end? Yeah. Okay. 100%. That's like the only way to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. Or the other ones, like the monster ones that they have the marshmallows in too. Oh, like uh, Count Chocula. Yeah. Yeah. Booberry. Booberries. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's another one. What's the other one? Oh, Frankenberry or something. Frankenberry. And then there's like a weird one. There's like, uh, I got to look it up now. Fruit Brute. Fruit Brute? Fruit Brute? Yeah, look it up. Fruit Brute. It's a thing. It's like a werewolf. Oh. Yeah. I had no idea. See, that's what happens in a small town. You get three out of four. You don't get Fruit Brute. Fruit Brute. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't make it to Burlington, Wisconsin. Sorry. No. All right. Let's move on to our final thoughts. Anna, are you good to start with for final thoughts? Sure. No, I just wanted to say that like, so everybody at work this week went to see the Brewers play on Monday and I declined um, for many reasons, but uh, not least of all the fact that it snowed that day. <laughs> True. But then um, Yelly hit a grand slam and I missed it. So sorry. Yeah. I it, My mistake. I, I should have gone. I feel like we're going to do it again because it was, it was a really good time. We got to thank our uh, coworker, Missy. For setting that up mm-hmm. he just crushed it um but you know next time when you join us it'll be that much more fun that's true next time i'll go and i won't sit so close to the white claws <laughs> <laughs> all right so i got a couple of things for my final thought this week so i i've as i've noted before and my supply chain issues and how they've impacted me directly i ordered a refrigerator in july of last year mm-hmm. and today I took delivery of this refrigerator and, you know, I had mentioned it was already, you know, uh, the sales guy called me every month and he's like, oh, sorry, push back another month. It was fine. It got to be this little back and forth. Finally, like last night, he calls me at 9 p.m. and says, we got your fridge, got to pay for it in full right now, and it'll be there sometime Friday. I'm like, great. The fridge is coming. Excellent. Then they run my credit card later and say, no, you know what? It's going to be there tomorrow morning. Oh, and uh, you got to be there anywhere from 930 to 1230, which I figured maybe three o'clock. They'd be Mm -hmm. here by 3 p.m. But it turns out they were there right at nine. Bring it in. Take the old fridge out. Everything was professional. And they go to slide that refrigerator into the space. 
And uh, Alex, do you have the photo queued up? So for the people that are watching can see it. Uh, but uh, oh, and we can't see it on here. Oh, I want. Oh, OK. We can't see it on the describe uh, it to us, David. So how I could describe it as a refrigerator much too big for the hole provided. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> they just and they, you know, I give them credit because they tried to angle it a little bit mm. and then they tried shimmying it a little bit. And, you know, they did the due diligence in terms of trying to make it fit in something that clearly was too big for the space. They turned it around, yeah. put, try to put it Just in backwards. Like, no, no, no. Maybe if you, I'm like, guys, Enough. it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. So for those of you watching the video version, I was hoping that you guys could see the uh, photo because right now my kitchen is 20% refrigerator, <laughs> 20% void behind the refrigerator. And there was just no options. They said they could uh, take the refrigerator back that we've waited for a year and give us another refrigerator that is nothing close to what we ordered. And maybe we would get that sometime. Based oh, my God. On, and uh, there was just a lot of promises made and broken. And it was, uh, but uh, it sounds like my brother-in-law actually might come to the rescue today. And because we're talking about possibly redoing the kitchen and that might that might be happening sooner than later. All because of the wrong refrigerator. Because Man. he's on his way here now, and he's just taking a buzzsaw to those cabinets. And it's like, oh my god, whatever it takes, get it in. But uh, anyway, you have kind of a wow. history of trusting the wrong people. I trusted. I trusted a company that came highly recommended. Household furnishings and dentists. David <laughs> is just the worst luck with either. It was. It was just remarkable because the other, oh, and so the blame of the situation, when we went to buy the fridge, I, tread, I, lightly, what? Oh no. Be careful. I I measured the opening and it was 35 and a quarter inches. And we were very specific. Like it says 35 and a quarter inches. That's how big the opening is. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, standard fridge should fit in there. 36 inch fridge should fit in there. And I'm like a 36 inch fridge. Which is bigger. It's going to fit in there. Than the He's space. like, oh, yeah. No, because you have a standard size fridge now, and it's going to fit in there. And that was just like. So he thought you mismeasured. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're the pro. Why bother? And, oh, uh, my God. Yeah. So it has been just a whirlwind of logistics trying to figure that out. Uh, the other final thought that I had, which is a quick one, is that, you know, we've been back in the office for a while now, and uh, I've been really enjoying it. One thing that the pandemic stole from us that uh, I don't think we've really thought about is the weird signs posted in places around the office by uh, aggrieved people. And so... Oh, passive-aggressive notes? Passive-aggressive notes. Anonymous note. notes? Yeah, the anonymous this, note. This it, is not in the office. Now, this is not, as uh, producer Alex was just saying, this is not in the office. It's in a common area, uh, a very common area. You know, the bathroom. And uh, the bathroom that we share with multiple other businesses, multiple other businesses. Yes. And uh, someone took it upon themselves to post a note on the front of the bathroom door that just said, and uh, Alex is going to fire it for those who are watching the video, but just said, you know, do not defecate on the toilet seat. And I am sorry that I missed two years of passive aggressive notes because then in fine print, it says, you know, there's a couple of typos, but it basically says. This should not be something that needs to be said. And that was the real crowning, crowning achievement of that note. So for those of you out there that like wow. to write these notes, thank you. You are a national treasure. Your crowning achievement was saying the word defecate on the podcast. <laughs> you know, there are, 
you gotta just work around. <laughs> I uh I don't do well with uh you know potty humor. <laughs> I don't do well with it at all. It makes no, me. Quite I don't think that that was a joke. No, no, no. It's it's not. Like I haven't even. <clears throat> I went upstairs. I saw the note. I took a photo of the note. Laughed. <laughs> have not returned. Have not returned. Because I feel like that person also is up there, just like which one of it? Which one of you is it? Yeah. Who is it? You're all suspects for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, Jeff, that is the weirdest note. Oh, I know. That is. <laughs> I don't know if I, man, that's crazy. It is. It is crazy. I did not see. I heard you guys talk about it. I did not. Oh, yeah. There is a combination of all caps and misspellings and grammatical mistakes. So I feel confident it didn't come from any of the editors. You think it was targeted like this person knew who it was and they were like, really, they just didn't want to confront them. They were just doing that. Super passive aggressive. Oh, oh, I think that would have, then maybe they would have like left it in a windshield wiper. Just that like, would be better. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, yeah, we were, it, it uh, spread like a brush fire around the office because it, not? it was uh, the first one since we got back. And just thank you. Wow. What is uh, what if is you're your listening? You it? I don't <laughs> know if I can follow that. <laughs> I know I can't follow that. But I did want to say the thing that I like loved going to the Brewer game oh, and yeah. been there in how long. But I have to admit, the highlight, as good as the game was and camaraderie and all that, the brachos were tough to beat. <gasps> brachos. For those of you unfamiliar, these would be nachos with brats. Yeah. Did you hear that you you got like the last, the last order? One? Yeah. Doesn't make me feel bad at all because oh. they Did are you get amazing. Beat up in the conference? No, he was sitting right in front of me eating these nachos and I'm just eating a sad brat with like a stale bun. I'm like, you know what? I'm getting that and I'm going <laughs> to throw this away. Walked up there, and the only thing they had was impossible meat nachos, which, don't get me wrong, in a pinch maybe, but it wasn't enough to satisfy that urge that uh, Impossible nachos? Should have gotten the helmet full, like the helmet bowl. Yeah, the helmet bowl. Just got the regular one. Anyway. Trivia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Heads off to um, to Larry and to Mark. They did get trivia right last week. Oh, man. As did our very own Anna Wells. After the podcast, she gets a t-shirt. Sometimes I get stuff right. The question for those of you who wrote in and were not successful with your response, we were saying, what is the maximum amount of time you should seek cover before throwing a hand, after throwing a hand grenade? The answer was five seconds. Now, everybody who said get down right away, you are absolutely right because it does blow up. So you want to seek cover immediately after throwing it. The standard amount, though, the answer we were looking for was... No more than five seconds. I mean, I said three, and I, I feel fine. You're not wrong. That. Yeah, I feel fine with it. Yeah. So this week, I thought we'd give you guys the option of, because we got a couple, I'm trying to tie, tie the question into like a theme. Mm. So we talked about a lot of electrical vehicle stuff, mm-hmm. which got me thinking, there is some stuff in here about treating electrical burns. So oh. somebody who's in an accident in an electric vehicle could pertain also, obviously, in an industrial setting. Mm-hmm. The other one would be, I just can't get Anna's story about the potato grenade huh. out of my head. So there's also, um, we could also have a question about found unexplo- unexploded ordnance. Mm. So which way should oh, we go? Man. Electrical burns or unexploded ordnance? I want to do both because I've been electrically burned and I don't believe I treated it well. But I, I guess I'm going to vote unex- unexploded ordnance. With the hope that we can do electricity. We'll do, I'll probably do the electrical one next week. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do this one. All right. So let me pull up my. I'm assuming here. it's like 
show it to your friend who's seen a lot of war yeah. movies? Pick it up it's, immediately and run with it. It's not that far off. Oh, okay. Not that far off. So basically, if you find an unexploded ordinance, one of the things is you need to report what type of ordinance it is. Mm-hmm. The Army has four classifications for the type. Okay? Mm-hmm. So one of these is not one of these types. Okay. Tell me which one is wrong. Mm. Okay? Dropped, projected, launched, thrown, or placed. Four of these are correct in identifying the type of unexploded ordinance you're encountering. Mm-hmm. encountering. Mm-hmm. One of them is wrong. Dropped, projected, launched, thrown, or placed. Mm. Which is not one of the types. According to the Army... Soldier's Manual of Common Skills, Skill Level 1, August 2003. If only they had this manual in New Zealand. They obviously needed it. Man. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. So. That is... Uh, Let me know. Okay. I have no idea. But, you know, I'll give it a think. Got a one in five shot. All right. Well, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com. Also, make sure to subscribe to our newsletters to make sure you get the podcast to your inbox first. All right, for Jeff Branke and Anna Wells, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.